Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, today use this time. Um, Lord, I, I ask that you direct us in your word um, as we spend time in learning about what does it mean to take off the mask? What does it mean to reveal ourselves to you? Lord, use this time. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I feel like every time I preach, I have to peel back the layer of nerd just a little bit more for you all so you can have a better understanding of who I am without the mask. But I will tell you guys, if dad jokes could be considered a love language, it would be my primary way of communicating. I would tell dad jokes all the time, and that would probably be much to the frustration of my wife and really anyone that knows me. And the thing is, when it comes to those dad jokes, when it comes to those puns, we know all too well that one one-liner that you hear it and you either cringe, maybe you do laugh because it's hilarious, um, but maybe it just makes you groan. Whether it's talking, <clears throat> whether it's asking someone if they know the one about the broken pencil, it didn't have a point, or share about how much we appreciated the sidewalks when we were growing up that really kept us off the streets. But, got to think about that one, but it takes real skill to see things in our day-to-day -day lives and find humor. Now, a little over a year ago when I came to Crossview Church, at the time, Second Reform, I started the long process of getting to know all of you, uh, getting to know the church family, getting to know the students at the bridge, and the photo directory, which S Scott gave me like my first day on the job, was super helpful. It is from 2016, so we've all you know, maybe aged a little bit, different haircut and all that, but it really helped me to put names to faces. And then something happened a year ago. Enter COVID-19. We all locked down. We all masked up. And during this time, my attempt at humor, because I try to make jokes when things are awkward, um, was I would always say that I only have 50% of a face to work off of and guess who you are. The students have probably heard that weekly, and I need to retire that line. Um, but I'm happy to say that and see that in time, as restrictions are being lifted, slowly but surely, um, it's happened. We're, we're able to get to see each other's full faces again. And I love getting to see the smiles and, and all that. It's just so good to start to see the faces behind those masks. But before 2020, when we thought about masks, maybe we thought of Halloween, you know, kiddos dressing up, sometimes adults, uh, dressing up as characters or maybe dressing up as an animal. Or maybe we think of when uh, it's a job that would require wearing a mask. Uh, maybe if you're a scuba diver instructor or a jet fighter pilot, they have to wear masks to aid in breathing. Or as I shared with the kiddos, maybe you think of the biggest financial cash cow that has hit our society in the last decade, and that is the superhero movie genre. Billions of dollars have been spent and made on this but whether you're looking at the characters that we had on the screen, Marvel or DC, we see them masking up. And some of them, they do wear for physical protection. I don't think Elastigirls offers much protection. Um, but it does serve that primary purpose that I talked about, is it protects their identity. And over the many years, if you actually read comic books and not just the movies, um, it's always the thing, trying to hide their secret identity so that people won't find out who they are. And masks are a way of protecting those identities from being revealed so they just, they're able to hide better. But I have to ask the question today, 
how often do we hide behind these masks? Are we perhaps putting on a strong face so that no one knows the weakness underneath? Or are we wearing the mask of a jokester, masking the, part, the past where we have hurts? Or maybe you're the people pleaser, not wanting to let people down. Or you're the overachiever who looks like they have it all together when really things are falling apart at the seams. Are we hiding our true self from our friends and family, maybe from ourselves, or perhaps even God? So throughout this Draw Near series, we have been challenged in how we approach God as we draw near, whether it's in simplicity, whether it's in humility, whether it's in confidence. And today, we're going to draw near in authenticity. Over the past decade, I've noticed authenticity or authentic have become commonly used words when it comes to, to marketing, and, it, and it's popping up all over our culture to indicate something as real. And I think of going to a local coffee shop or, or any coffee shop really, and having authentic single origin, small batch, private reserve, naturally processed Peruvian coffee beans. I really wanted to try to figure out the most pretentious way to talk about coffee today. Or maybe you just go to, maybe just keep it simple, and you go to an authentic Mexican restaurant. My wife and I held, had El Toro last night. Mm, so good. But the church world has adopted this too. We label things like small groups as having authentic relationships. Our, service, our worship services have authentic worship. It's a word that we've all really adopted. And we see this word and it tends to evoke something in us. It invokes to know that what we're having, what we're experiencing, is as real as it gets. So what does it mean to have an authentic relationship with God? Well, we can look, through, look throughout the Bible, and we can see many stories, and we know a lot of them by heart, but we can see a lot of stories of people who lived authentic lives for God. When we look at the New Testament, we see Mary washing the feet of Jesus with her tears. It's authentic. We see John the Baptist, awesome character of the New Testament, and he's not holding back. He lets loose. Prepare the way for the coming of God's chosen one. He gave his life living authentically. But then we can look at the Old Testament, and we can look at other characters. We see Abraham. Abraham, I tell you what, his life, we can see so much. He lived an authentic life. He was willing to leave his home country to honor God's request. He is so legit. I just love the way he, he lived out his life in those ways. He also was willing to sacrifice his son, again, to honor God's request. He lived the life that God called him to. But he had his shortcomings too, um, but he was a man after God's heart. And when it comes to living a life completely sold out for God, we can look to a very important character that we're all familiar with from the Old Testament. David. Today's passage, and it's a long one, so hang in there with me, uh, we'll be reading 2 Samuel chapter 6. So to set the scene, if you're not familiar with it, David and his armies, they've been in a battle, and they have just conquered Jerusalem, and they're about to make it the kingdom's capital city. And the verses will be on the screen, starting in, uh, at the beginning. <clears throat> David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. 
They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadad, were guiding the new cart <coughs> with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sinstrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day the place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. So right away, sometimes when we read the Old Testament, we're like, whoa, God, that's intense. And uh, those moments do happen. Um, we see Uzzah, he has reached out, he went to catch the ark because he was worried that it was going to fall, and zap, he is gone, he is dead. And, and David's just angry. He's like, what's going on? Why did this happen? He's just angry at God and the situation. But as David always does, his emotions tend to flip very quickly. He goes from anger to fear, and he fears God in this situation. He fears his wrath. How can the ark of the Lord come to me? The ark carries great blessing, as we, have, we see throughout Scripture, but it also carries great responsibility and deserves respect. So what does David do in his fear? He chooses to leave the ark at Obed-Edom's house, but why does David do this? He longs for God's blessing. He desires it. And his blessing is amazing. But his fear of God's wrath is much bigger than his desire for God's blessing. So I ask you today, how often do we hide from God in fear? Now, I'll share with you guys. I have a strong tendency to lean into fear. And that might be an understatement. Um, but if you're familiar with the Enneagram, I'm a six, which is the loyalist. And um, if you're curious about the Enneagram, you've pr heard Scott talk about it, you've heard me talk about it. It's really great to learn about who you are. Uh, it's a personality test. That's a very simple explanation. But as a six, as a loyalist, part of, one quality of us is we are known for being excellent troubleshooters. And we think through problems. And while these are good qualities, and these are just some qualities that I have, it comes at a cost. Fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown crops up, and we realize not every problem is solvable. And when I'm thinking through a situation or decision, what do I do? I do research. I read re all the reviews. I watch YouTube videos. I, I get everyone's opinion on what I'm supposed to do, and I just get stuck in the mire. I get stuck in my fear of not knowing what to do. Maybe you have that experience as well. But God doesn't want me to get stuck in my head. And I'm thankful that he's put people in my life that sometimes need to knock me on the head and say, Nate, snap out of it. And I need that reminder. And maybe you feel like you are not worthy sometimes. Maybe that's part of your fear. Like God won't accept you as you are. Maybe your shame sits heavy on your shoulders. And maybe the loneliness has set in and you wonder, is there anyone that cares for me? Does anyone love me? But maybe instead of fear, 
just like David, let's flip the switch. And perhaps you hide from God in anger. There was that time that maybe you felt like God let you down. Maybe it was that fight with your spouse or being let go from a, from a job or the death of a loved one. You felt anger in that time. But do you think that God's too busy and doesn't care? It's all that anger just boiling over. Well, I have to tell you guys today, if you don't know this, God understands. God cares. God loves you. He loves each and every one of us. And God wants us to approach him as we are. God is a big God, and he can handle your anger and your fears and your doubts, but we have to choose to make him a part of our life. When we get mad, share it with him. When we feel shame and fear, tell him he is there. God is present, and he is a loving father who is waiting to listen to us. And he has so much love for us, and we see that in his decision to send his son to die on our behalf. God is so, so good. But all he asks is don't hide from him. Bring your burdens to him in a life of authenticity. So now the real long stretch. David realizes his mistakes as we continue his story. Now, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now, David was told the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of, the, of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets, as the, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, son of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the world, the crowd of Israel, of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around full, half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me, rather than your father or anyone from his house, when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. When I think of the different stories about David's life, this is one that tends to stick out for me. Now, most, when they think of David, they think of his stories of triumph, whether it was his, his battle with Goliath, his constant battles with Saul, um, and that he wrote many of the Psalms. But then, dear old David had his 
mishaps, we'll say. And there's a lot of them to list, so we'll just focus on one. Maybe it was when he chose to take Bathsheba to bed, got her pregnant, and then got her husband Uriah killed to cover it up. Yeah, that's one of the big ones. Uh, David is often used, though, as an example when we talk about him. He's often used as an example that God can use anyone. It's always that, well, King David did this, so, you know, he's always an example that people use. And no matter how sinful he got, God always used him. But what's often overlooked, instead of just keeping it simple and saying, eh, we can look and see that the moment that David does sin, that he does something wrong, he's tr- typically uh, truly repentant within a few verses, and he's realized his wrongs. And sometimes he has to be knocked over the head by Nathan the prophet. Really good prophet name right there. But this story shows David making a course correction. He sees the blessing falling on the house of Obed-Edom, and he knows, I want this blessing of God. So he goes and he brings the Ark of the Covenant to the city of David, and they make sacrifices. They are, they're dancing and, and shouting and rejoicing in the streets. And yes, David dances. And he has removed all of his kingly attire, his robes and all, and he dances in a linen ephod. And I, I just want to clear things up because I know this story is probably used in, in every medium of the church, whether it's kids' ministry, student ministry. No, David was not dancing in his underwear. I know a lot of people like to say, oh, Linanifa, that's him dancing in his underwear. He's not dancing in his underwear. Um, if you go and read in First, uh, First Chronicles 15, it clearly states, because First Chronicles kind of goes back and cleans up a few things, it states he was in a robe of linen. So... No David in his underoos. David was in a robe of linen. Just to give you guys all that visual. But what is important, not what David's wearing. Uh, We're not here to discuss that fully today. But what is important from this story is that David the king humbled himself. He removed everything. Any mark of, of I am the king. My wife and I are currently watching the show The Crown, and whenever you see royalty, they're like done up to the nines. They've got the crown, they've got all the things, the sash and all that. David went down to just a simple, plain linen robe, and that's what the priests would wear at that time. He took it all off, all the things that would point to him so that he would be transparent, so that he could worship God like the priests. The earthly king bowed to the heavenly king. Then we get this wonderful character, Michal, comes in, and she calls out David for his display of humiliation, and she is disgusted with him. And he just responds back with a wonderful line, I will become even more undignified than this. Thank you to David Crowder for that wonderful song. But he chooses to be, be real. He chooses to be just David before not just God, but his entire kingdom. So how would it look for us to live life undignified? Hopefully, we wouldn't all strip down to linen robes and dance around, but if God asks, I mean, we might have to oblige, but that's not what we're asked to do. How would we live our lives differently? Would we maybe carry ourselves a little differently? What we need to remember is God is asking us to come to him as we are. We all come with baggage. We all do. 
And those things that, that bring us shame, our fears, and our doubts. We also come with our wounds, those that, that we've been hurt before by someone, those wounds. Or maybe we come with anger. We come with anger that we have towards a person that has maybe hurt us. Or we bring anger that we feel hurt from God. Our sin clings to us. And God is ready to make us clean and be free of our sin and shame. Just think about this. You don't wash your hands before you get in the shower or bath. Like, why would you get pre-clean? That doesn't make any sense. Honestly, we don't get to be the ones that clean ourselves. Jesus' sacrifice, his choice to go to the cross, take on all our sin, he is the one who cleanses us. When I look at David's life, there is no doubt that his heart was fully on display for all the world and God to see. What he did with his life was an outpouring from his heart of what, what a good God can do with a flawed man. When he lives his life authentically, real for God. And God wants that for all of you, for all of us. To live a life sold out for Christ and to draw near to him in authenticity, holding nothing back. So I want to end our time today uh, going through a section of Psalm 139. Now, typically when we read this psalm, we think of that Sunday in January, Sanctity of Human Life, especially when we read verse 13, but we're not going to read that today. But I'm going to read it to you, and it starts out as David recognizing God's omniscience. Verse 1, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even where your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for, the, for darkness is as light to you. Now, our soul care moment because I get to choose one of these for once. Uh, our soul training moment, sorry, uh, is, is a very humbling one. And um, it's actually at the end of Psalm 139. It's going to go up on the screen here in a second. And it's one that maybe you are familiar with, but it's this. Search me, O God. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So our challenge this week isn't memorization. If you want to memorize it, please do, because it's a wonderful verse to be able to, to come back to. And it might help in what I'm about to challenge you with, is that you're going to pray these two verses this week. But not just breeze through it, like sit down and be like, okay, search me, oh God, and know my heart, test me, and know my... Don't breeze through it. Take the time to internalize these words, to say these words out loud to God. Ask him to search your heart, search your soul, search your mind, and know it completely, all the ins and outs, the good and the bad. 
God wants to know us intimately, authentically, and wholly. With his light, his love in us, we can see the ways in which he wants us to go. What a great God. As we end today, I want us to take a moment and pray this passage out loud together, and I'll close with prayer as we, we end our time in worship. So let's pray. Let's, if you need to read it, please have your eyes open. You can read, but let's just pray these words together. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offense way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we love you, God. We are so grateful and thankful for all that you have done. We are, are thankful for the relationship that we get to have with you. That, God, you are a God calling out to his children. Children, come home. Children, hear me. Children, see me. Show me who you are. Lord, I pray that as we spend this week praying, search me, God, and know my heart, that we would be transparent before you, that there would not be a wall or a shade or anything that could possibly block our full self to you. That, God, when we approach you, it is not just a head thing, that it is not just us in our, in our minds, it's not just an emotion in our hearts, but it's full on head to the heart through the soul, that, Lord, we are engaging you as we pray to you, as we get to know you, Lord, as we spend time in your word. God, I pray for, for all of us as we are, are soon coming to this time of Easter, that this would be a time that we would draw near to you, that we would show you our, ourselves as you show yourself, as you show your love, the love that you showed by sending your son to come to earth, to live as a man, to take on our sin and die on a cross and to be risen again in glory. God, we want to see your glory. We love you, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' mighty, precious name. Amen.